Good morning, dear saints and Lenten blessings. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Friday, February 16th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today our topic is Deuteronomy, now chapter 8. This chapter serves as a reminder to the Israelites of God's guidance and provision during their 40 years in the wilderness. Moses emphasizes the importance of humility and obedience and reliance upon God. Most importantly, Moses warns them not to forget Yahweh once they enter into the promised land and when they start to experience its abundance, stressing that their wealth and prosperity will come from God. Moses cautions against pride and forgetting God and underscores the necessity of keeping his commandments. That is our text for this morning. Well, folks, whether it's over the air, online at kfuo.org, or as a podcast, no matter how you're joining us, thank you for tuning in. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. So visit them online at lhfmissions.org. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email me, pastorboo at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, just search for Phil Boo. Or you can uh, give a call if you'd like, 1-800-730-2727. Joining us this morning is the Reverend David Boysclair, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Good morning, Pastor Boysclair. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. It's so wonderful to be here and study the Word of God together. Yes, excellent. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're just coming off chapter 7, which is, you know, God emphasizing that his people are a chosen people. He's going to be working for uh, to, to show them the victory over the nations that they are to dispossess, that they shouldn't fall after the gods of those other nations or turn away from him. And in fact, it ends with the words, you shall utterly detest and abhor it, that is the abominable things, for it is devoted to destruction. That's kind of the theme. The people, the gods, everything's devoted to destruction. But now our text for this morning is about remembering Yahweh, your God. I'm looking forward to getting into that. Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer. Oh, it would be an honor. Let us pray. Eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grant us your Holy Spirit who writes the preached word into our hearts so that we may receive and believe it and be gladdened and comforted by it in eternity. Glorify your word in our hearts. Make it so bright and warm that we may find pleasure in it. And through your inspiration, think what is right. By your power, fulfill the word for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who reminded us that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, before we get into any of the text, would you like to set the stage or give us any background or you just want to jump in? It's all up to you. Yeah, I'd like to jump in today. I think uh, you you really um, uh, gave us a good um, introduction in, in what you had said. I, I kind of was struck by the fact that uh, Deuteronomy, a, a lot of the time, is is such a rich presentation of the law. 
uh, in a positive way as, as uh, part of our life with God. And, of course, at this time, uh, with uh, God's people in the wilderness, of course, God was um, uh, marrying his people, you might say, uh, because he was a husband to them, according to his covenant. But, of course, as, as always with the law, it, it um, has uh, the blessings are kind of with strings attached. That's with uh, legal blessings. Evangelical blessings, meaning blessings from the gospel, of course, are without strings. Well, let's look at the text. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he's there is a relationship between God and his people that's very much that of a, a husband uh, to a wife. Of course, that's a common theme within the scriptures. But I think it is lost on us on just how um, well, especially as we as the roles between husbands and wives, even men and women are blurred in our sinful society. Uh, it, it can start to lose its meaning. But we're going to see there today that God, as the bridegroom, as the husband to his people, um, is going to take care of them. Um, but, of course, there is a submission uh, involved. Let's start with chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that Yahweh swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, but fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right, that's just the first three verses, but I think it's worth stopping there. The whole commandment, interesting that that's singular, that I command you today, Moses says, you shall be careful to do. One thing we've been noticing is there is a relationship between their prosperity in the land and their obedience to God's commands. Uh, that's something we don't I guess we don't talk like that much anymore. Yes, and and sometimes we don't because we're afraid of legalism, and and that's a and that's a right fear. Um, you know, our salvation is totally a gift from God. It's not something we earn by our works. Um, but after we have been uh, regenerated by the Holy Spirit through baptism and 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 through uh, the gospel, uh, then then. God calls upon us to follow him and, and um, uh, begin to do what we're able to do, the good deeds that uh, are, are laid out for us in his Ten Commandments. And so, and, 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 and in, in a sense, it, it's kind of like uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. And so, uh, you know, this, that's maybe the idea behind the whole commandment. You know, obviously the law has three uses. This is uh, not only the convicting or the curbing use, but also the uh, the guide, uh, the the um, beautiful way path of life that it that it has. But of course, again, not that we earn it. But again, we want to guard against any form of legalism. Exactly, and and that is a concern for Lutherans, particularly because of our heritage. And Christians in general, we certainly don't want to try to take credit for our salvation. 
what I think people sometimes miss here, though, is that these people are already believers. They already have faith in God. They already know God. And so he's speaking to them about what it looks like to live as his people set apart. And that means, well, frankly, doing the things that he tells you to do. And as we've discussed before, it's not as though he throws them a bone. Okay, they're being obedient, so I think I'll send them a few blessings. He's simply revealing to them what it looks like to live as his chosen people in the way that he's designed them. So I love how he brings them not just back to, well, if you do this, I promise that I'll take care of you. But he gives them evidence. Remember the whole way that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years. Um, and, and so I think that's something that we could take to heart when we fail to remember all the ways in which God has blessed us. The fact that we are here, we, we live, we breathe, uh, we, we could, even if we're in a bad situation, we can always look back and say, God has brought me through worse. God, God has shown me that he is not going to abandon me. And that's exactly what he's saying to these people. Look at what I've done for you. Why would you doubt? I think that's so uh, precious and special. It's it's the manner in which um, a Christian marriage uh, continues. I mean, uh, you know, Christians that are married for for many many years, they 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 can rely on their spouse, and 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 they're tried and true. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it's a blessed uh, routine that we have. I mean, a lot of times like in the world when people are on their own and, and then apart from God in the world, they, they do not have a routine. Sometimes uh, maybe they meet different people and, and maybe they fall into and out of relationships. They don't, uh, maybe uh, everything is all upended and there's no uh, continuity in life, no happiness. And, and uh, it, it, we are happy. Uh, happy because we were, are with a gracious God who only wants to care for us, who is almighty and able to answer all our prayers. And as you said, uh, over those 40 years had kept uh, the people as they traveled through the wilderness. And, and it was a, you know, and, and that, of course, is the reason why John the Baptist, uh, at the time of the coming of our Lord, uh, uh, called the people back into the wilderness because God wanted to um, speak to their hearts and, and to uh, lead them to repentance. And I love this, too, from the text. He says, and he, being God, humbled you and let you hunger. Now, of course, he does come up right up immediately and says, but or and fed you with manna, but but he let you hunger. That's something where we're always trying. We've talked about theodicies already, but we're always trying to get God off the hook. But discipline never, almost never is enjoyable. He let them hunger for a purpose so that they would know that he can take care of them. Yes, he fed them with manna, but but Luther digs into this and he says, I, I think he let them hunger because he wanted to show them that even if the manna had never come, he still would provide for them through his word. Uh, th- of course, that brings us to that text or that sentence, but man lives not by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, which even Jesus himself used to refute that that idea of hunger. So letting you hunger, God sometimes lets bad things happen. That's just part of God's discipline. I, I think that's something a lot of people struggle with, though. 
That's a that's a very good uh, application of that, uh, and in, in the context in which our, which our Lord uh, replied to Satan's temptation that he should uh, turn the uh, stones into bread, um, you know, it reminds us that uh, you know if we have money or means here on earth. Um, we, we, that's not really going to sustain us. The time is going to come when when food will not sustain us or uh, the, we won't need clothing or, or food or anything because we're going to be on our deathbed. And, and it's only the Lord by his word that sustains us and, and, and gives us uh, life. And, and that, again, that's it's kind of saying he, he gives us life through means, you know, like either the means of grace or, or through um, our families and 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 our you know work in which we earn a living and everything and have have the food that we have, but ultimately we look to God uh, for our sustenance. Absolutely, I mean, no matter how much food you have, no matter how much wealth you have, no matter how uh, a, a blessed even that you are in this life, there is a point, the great equalizer, that none of that will ever matter. And and you and I and so many pastors and so many Christians, too, have walked alongside folks in their last hours. And, boy, you just that's when the word of the Lord matters so much more. You know, we're, we're going to give you comfort in the faith that God has given you. Or I could write you a check for a million dollars on your deathbed. Which one do you want? It kind of reminds me of the of the joke where where the uh, uh, the a man would wanted to um, be buried with all of his money and and uh, the thing was is his wife took his money and wrote him a check. <laughs> Uh, um, but but I think what what you said I love the uh, concept of the great equalizer. God, uh, like, for instance, even in our salvation, as St. Paul says in Romans, that he concluded everyone in disobedience, you know, in condemnation, so that he might have mercy upon all. God is the great equalizer in, in all of these matters, and, and, and most certainly true that, uh, uh, and, and, and we just rejoice and, and are thankful for all that we have, but, you know, it's when we go through the difficult times uh, that kind of uh, shows us that we should turn to the Lord because it, it you know, that's why the, um, in um, uh, Proverbs, I believe it says, do not give me uh, too little that I uh, become a thief and go and steal and try to keep myself alive. Uh, or don't give me too much that I will say, who is the Lord? So, so he, mm-hmm. he is the one that, that is constantly uh, disciplining us, uh, guiding us, uh, sustaining us, leading us uh, to life. And, and so in, in, the case, in this particular case, he's just saying, stay with me, you know, and, and of course, by the Spirit's power, we have that ability to stay with him. I, I love that, that what you brought up about, certainly don't give me too little, right? We, we rely on you, O Lord, but don't give me too much. That's not something a lot of people pray today, but boy, is there wisdom in that, because that's what this whole text is about. We're going to get into it in a few minutes, but... Basically, once you get where you're going and you see how wonderful it is, uh, don't forget who brought you there. But before we get there, he then turns from hunger to clothing, another necessity with verse four. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart 
that as a man disciplines his son, Yahweh your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For Yahweh your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless Yahweh your God for the good land that he has given you. You know, as Moses describes this promised land, he's describing it in such hyperbolic terms that it, it, it really doesn't seem like such a place could exist on the earth. And maybe that's because it doesn't. <laughs> what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, this becomes a type of our life to come, of, of, of our life in heaven. Um, and, 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 and in the case of the children of Israel, they had the joy of, of being uh, the promise that God would lead them into the good land, uh, which, which at that time, uh, you know, in earlier times was not as arid as it is today. Uh, there were lions that were there. It was, it was a, a lush, uh, beautiful, uh, you know, uh, uh, fertile land at that time. And, um, and so they, they had, had much promise, you know, again, it, it's saying, you know, it's, and, and of course they have, God is the one I am bringing you into this land. It's not that they went in and conquered it by themselves because they couldn't do that, but it's also kind of a picture of what the children of Israel also would expect after death when, when God would bring them to himself. To himself, rather. Right, absolutely, and that's and that's what I'm getting this sense too. I, I mean, when they get there, it certainly is a good land. I mean, that's just, um, <laughs> I mean, that's provable by by uh, looking at it. But at the same, especially compared to wandering in the desert. But when he talks about them wandering in the desert, this image of how he provides for them is amazing because people might say. Well, you know, I don't understand. How would they be able to eat just sort of wandering around in the desert? Well, it answers it. Well, what about clothes? Maybe they were maybe they were encountering different tribes and they were trading with them. Nope, nope. Their clothing just simply didn't wear out in a miraculous way. The feet swelling, right? If you didn't have sandals, your feet would swell walking around the desert. But obviously they had sandals. They didn't those didn't wear out either. So God takes care of these things that that even are, you know, not these wonderful treasures, just the, the normal everyday. Nobody likes getting socks for Christmas, but boy, it sure is nice to have new socks. Well, same thing here. He's providing for even the mundane things of their lives. But when they endure suffering, it is not punitive. It is not out of just a, a, a hatred or anything like that. It's according to eight five. it is as a man disciplines his son. True discipline is out of love. And, and this father-son analogy is showing this discipline is in the context of love. And, and I think that when we encounter bad times in our lives, when the Lord lets us hunger, it, it's so hard for us to see that as love from God. But here we have this evidence that God does allow bad things to happen as a means of teaching us. 
Exactly. And and the writer of the letter to the Hebrews also reminds them, if, if God didn't discipline us, we would be like illegitimate children. We would not be hit the children of God. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's interesting with, with children in, in raising them, they get to a, they get to a stage in life where they don't appreciate uh, their parents and they and they get really testy if parents are very, uh, you know, kind of careful for them and kind of give them uh, maybe what they would consider to be stringent rules. But there will be a time in their life uh, in the future when after they've uh, grown up and are married or, or go on with their lives that they will thank their parents for the discipline that they uh, were, were subjected to uh, for their own good. Absolutely. And, and he even says, you know, so you shall keep the commandments of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. It's this declaration of this is something you're going to do because you're my son or daughter, right? Because you're my child, you aren't going to be like the other nations. You are set apart. These commandments, they they aren't a, a, a rules by which I want to control every aspect of your lives. They're a description of what it looks like to be my children. Now, they fail. <laughs> we all fail. Uh, of course, they are going to be urged to keep it. I'm not saying they aren't. But in this particular verse, verse 6, I just love this. You know, because it's discipline, you're going to do this. And I don't know. That just It's, it's a different relationship than just some far distant God who, who doesn't care about anything except controlling our lives. But it's so much more of a, well, I, I'll give you an example. <laughs> so when, when I was a kid, my dad was running for school board and I got in some trouble, uh, nothing bad, just sort of uh, wandering around with friends on land I shouldn't have been. And I was brought home by a sheriff's deputy. And my dad was very upset because he's running for school board. And, and he gives me this talk that's basically like, you know, who you are reflects on on me. And, and I see that going and, and that resonated with me. And that's going on here. God says to be my children means something. It's not just, hey, hey, don't eat these kind of animals. Hey, don't murder people. It is you are going to be set apart as holy among the nations. And that means something to be a child of God. Yes, and, and it causes wonder on the parts of the nations that are surrounding them. You know, what uh, what a wonderful nation is this that their God is is closely involved in their lives and gives them such commandments. You know, it's, it's rather interesting with the way in which uh, the, um, uh, uh, you know, the um, commands or the commandments are expressed. You will, as looking at it, it's like um, imperfect or something. You will be holy for or justive, uh, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Um, what What's rather interesting is is as we translate in the um, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, "Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect." You know, which is the law sense of it. But there is a promise in the by looking at it in the other, uh, you know, in the gr- grammatical way in which it which in which it's expressed in those ancient languages. You will be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, and so so that that's it's not only. Uh, a command, but it also is a promise. Yeah, not not a gospel promise, obviously, but it's a, a promise that you will be holy. And of course, the only way we can be holy is by being uh, born again through uh, baptism and, and the Word of God. 
And I love that about God, right? I mean, he declares that we must be holy, must be perfect as he is perfect. And then through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he gives us that perfection which the law requires. He declares us perfect, essentially, because of what Christ has done. So God demands holiness, and he gives us the ability to strive for that holiness. But then even more than that, he just declares us holy because of Christ. So, yeah, th this idea that you are different, not you need to be different, you should be different. Hey, quit being uh, the same as the other nations. And there's plenty of that, too. But there is this overarching message that says, because I have chosen you, you're going to be different. In fact, you are different. I look at you differently. And he really does. God, God disciplines his children and yet look at the evil, wicked nations which they are dispossessing. God has no patience for them. They are not looking to follow him. It's not that they're any less sinful than the Israelites, but they have completely made themselves enemies of God, and therefore they don't reap the benefits that, say, a son to a father would reap. They're now aliens and strangers and enemies, and so now they're being dispossessed. Yes, and that, and and in a, in a sense that that's the manner in which God visits His judgment upon, you know, I mean, on the on the Canaanites, all well, the the seven nations that are displaced in Canaan, um, and and it is, you know, it's rather interesting that uh, there's there's some a passage which says until the time uh, the, the time is fulfilled, the time of the nations is fulfilled, or something. So in other words, you know, God is is does not visit them with judgment right Johnny on the spot, but they, he kind of allows them, uh, you know, time. Uh, now, of course, uh, you know, it, 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 the word doesn't come to them until until the children of Israel get to the land. But, um, you know, even as uh, St. Paul says in Romans one, you know, they're without excuse. But God still is is gracious and compassionate and and and, give, and gives time for repentance. And um, and and it's we are a people of God's own possession, and and uh, it it just it, it's just in the same way as a, a loving relationship with a child to his or her parents, uh, that he knows he or she knows where they belong, and they they're loved that you know that they can uh, not worry for anything. That's kind of why my mother used to tell me, don't be, you know, when I was a child, don't be so serious all the time. You, you know, I wish I could be like you. I wouldn't, I don't have to worry about all the things that have to be worried about. Exactly. Don't be so quick to grow up. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, we're going to take a break. So don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to keep on going through Deuteronomy chapter eight. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, 
go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash one three sixteen. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today, it's the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Don't forget, folks, that you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, or you can call in. The number is 1-800-730-2727. You can call in or write me with your questions, comments, complaints, concerns, whatever you want to say. It's fine with me. Um, But I just love hearing from you. So heading back to our text, though, let's dive right back in because he now moves into, I guess, the main point of this, which is you're going to a place where it's so amazing. I'm going to provide for you so well that you and boy, the Lord understands our sins, doesn't he? He gets us. He's going to say, but I know what I know what might happen. So he says in verse 11, take care lest you forget Yahweh your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Now maybe just one more verse. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. All right, so pausing there at the end of verse 17. So he says, don't forget God once everything is starting to be, you know, looking good. Once you start to settle in and the blessings of God rolling in, don't forget God. Brother, if there is any sin of our age, you know, if we could just name one, this is it, right? And how do we forget God? By not keeping his commandments, his rules, and his statutes. Uh, Frankly, We've forgotten God in the prosperity of our nation. I think that's that's so true. Um, I I'm always I was always struck when I saw as a child uh, the film Shenandoah, which is took place in the Civil War, where uh, Jimmy Stewart played this uh, crusty old. Uh, he he was probably modeled after a fellow by the name of Mc. McLean, who in whose uh, house uh, the Civil War began, uh, and and then in his house uh, the Civil War ended when Lee surrendered to Grant. Anyway, this guy says, you know, we did everything. We cleared the the land. We cultivated it. We uh, raised the crops. We um, uh, we um, reaped the crops. Uh, it it all it all wouldn't have been there, and then we're not. We wouldn't have been eating it if we didn't do it all ourselves. Yeah, we thank you, Lord, anyway. So 
I mean, at least he had the blessing of of at least uh, <laughs> remembering God. But but I think that as you as you definitely say, because of prosperity, there's the temptation uh, to um, forget God. Much in the same way as in the Proverbs, it says, "Do not give me, do not overly bless me, or whatever. Give me too much, because then I will, you know, for, say, who is the Lord? You know, I, I have enough money. I can rely on my money and my wealth, or or my prosperity, or my own hands, or you know, any anything. But but I think." I think you're so right by saying that that is the great sin, uh, and, and and of course it it is a sin of idolatry. It is, and there's a reason why the people who are often drawn to the gospel message are those who are poor and indigent, those who are sick and cannot heal themselves, those who have mental struggles, those who those who realize that because of their lot in life or their station in life, they simply cannot cannot do it on their own. And so they're so receptive to the gospel that says, I'm here to help you. And yet when the Lord blesses us, because all blessings are for heaven. So even if you have someone who, who has unrighteous wealth, as we might say, you know, God still allows that to happen. And yet once you're able to kind of in this world, take care of yourself, it's so easy to forget God. It brings us to that easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle language because it's not that wealth is bad. God, you know, not to sound like a prosperity preacher, but God is giving his people great wealth and great prosperity. But the caveat is don't think that you did this on your own. And that's so antithetical even to the American mindset that rejects charity, wants to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. God says, I am the one who's here to help you. And frankly, I put you on earth to help one another. And that's a part that we also need to remember. Yes. Um, and Luther said, of course, well, at least I take it uh, from, uh, you know, his um, invocavit sermons that he went when they were, uh, you know, following the Radical Reformation. Um, you know, and Luther had to say, how dare you, uh, you know, be like this with others? Uh, you know, we we God has given us everlasting life so that we do not have to uh, earn our salvation so as something that is that is uh, gratuitous or, or left over we have our own lives so we should give ourselves to our neighbors and 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 care care for them and and so that that that's that's very important uh, here when uh, you, you know you're reminded that that you know if people are not are forgetting the Lord, you know it's rather interesting that he constantly refers to himself as the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And of course, for the people of the Old Testament, that was that's the God that we believe in. That Yahweh is the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt and has continued to be remembered by the people in the Passover. Uh, but for us Christians, the God that we worship or the God that identifies himself to us is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And so that's kind of how God would address us today and in, in his word. Which makes a ton of sense in the sense that, you know, the connection between releasing the people from their physical servitude to the Egyptians, releasing them from slavery, uh, releasing them from the consequences of death in the uh, plagues, 
connects directly to Jesus, who now releases us from the slavery of sin, the the consequences of death. So absolutely. I mean, it's really saying the same thing. We look back and we say, well, yes, I'm being taken care of, but what did God ever do for me? Well, for them, it's pretty easy. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Remember those fiery serpents and scorpions? Remember the fact that there was uh, no water, but yet we came, I brought you water out of a rock. Uh, I fed you with manna. You know, those are the things I did. And we get to add to those wonderful things uh, the most important thing, which is the sacrifice of Christ. So it's easy to say, how does God provide for us? Well, first and foremost, look to Jesus. And, and, I, and now Luther makes an interesting allegory. He says the hidden interpretations or allegories of this chapter are readily apparent. I love it when he says that. It's like, okay, well, but I'm going to have to explain it to you. Manna, in which in Hebrew means prepared or a gift, since it is prepared and given without our hands, denotes the gospel of God. Just as Christ also explains in John 6, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For this heavenly word is not given to the world by reason or our powers or merits. So Luther's allegorizing this, and, and, and I think it's okay to do that. He's saying, look, this manna in the, in the desert that he gives without them asking, they, they, they needed it, they, they complained, but he gives them something new, connects to the gospel by which we now have access to all the blessings of God. What, what do you think about Luther's connections there? He has what I call homiletical license. Uh, you know, we a lot of times when we, um, you know, interpret and proclaim God's word, uh, you know, it, it's it's just wonderful to bring in all of all of the, um, uh, you know, just the nuances and, and and blessings. I think that's that's a, a beautiful manner in which. Uh, Luther has said that the, the bread comes from heaven. That's why when uh, we have hymns uh, about the Lord's Supper, that it says we we eat this blessed food from heaven. Um, and as or as Saint Ignatius says, it is the medicine of immortality. And and it is the Lord who has said, you know, for us to be those ready to receive, unless you are converted and become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And and so it, it involves uh, that the Spirit makes us like children uh, who, who can't live, you know, just constantly expecting uh, something from their parents. And, 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 and what, a, what a marvelous thing that God feeds us with the bread of life, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Just to continue uh, Luther in his homiletical license, he says, The want and the affliction, the hunger in the desert, denotes the misery of conscience, which struggles in sin, where there is hunger and thirst. The fiery serpents and scorpions, that's the bite and the sting of sin, which affects us dreadfully. Manna comes and feeds us, and the stream comes from the struck rock, that is the spirit, which is gained for us through the crucified Christ, and he refreshes us so that we shall never thirst again. Yes, he's definitely being, uh, uh, he's definitely exercising allegorical license. I don't think there is a one-to-one for those things, but at the same time, it's the same in the sense that, you, as you said, God wants us to know him through Jesus, maybe even more so than the God who led you out of Egypt, because 
while that's in our spiritual heritage, it's not always in our um, ethnic heritage, so to speak. But but in any case, I, I do see here, though, we know that the fiery serpents um, and the scorpions, that situation connects to Christ. We know that the water, the thirsty ground, but I brought you water out of the flinty rock, that rock, which was Christ, we read elsewhere. So, so I mean, it, it certainly is connecting. Oh, absolutely. And and we're reminded of the uh, a bronze serpent that was placed upon a pole. Um, and uh, when when the fiery serpents attacked the people and many people were dying uh, because of their because of their sin and, and their grumbling uh, that uh, uh, they cried uh, to Moses or cried to the Lord. And the Lord says, make a, a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole. And and anyone that looks at that serpent will recover from being bitten by the fiery serpents. And and that that, of course, is a, a analogy of faith, that faith uh, does not offer anything to God. It just simply receives the salvation and healing from God. And that is a mention there. So when your herds and flocks multiply, when your silver and gold is multiplied, when all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget Yahweh your God. So he has provided for them throughout their wanderings in the wilderness, even the basic necessities, you know, shoes, clothes, food. Uh, it doesn't say shelter, but we can throw that in there too. He provided for them while they were out there. But where he's taking them, they are going to prosper. And this is the main concern here. And so we're going to pick it up with verse, uh, well, 17 again, but I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget Yahweh your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that Yahweh makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of Yahweh your God. So it seems like the stakes are higher than just, well, when you get in there and you get all these blessings, don't forget me. It really is a, if you forget me, that means to deny my blessings. And then if you turn after other gods, especially if you credit them, behold, Yahweh, who brought us out of the land of Egypt while you're holding up a golden idol. He says, if you start turning after other gods or giving them credit for what I've done, they are nothing. Then you shall perish. You shall surely perish. I'm assuming he means eternally in, in this is eternal punishment. How do you read it? Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, that is that's the way it is. Uh, uh, when Jesus uh, was was acquainted with the fact that uh, Pontius Pilate mingled with uh, certain Galileans the, their blood with the blood of their sacrifices, obviously because they were revolting, uh, Jesus says, "You know, do you think you're any better than they are? You know, if you do not repent, you will all likewise perish." Uh, you know, the Tower of Siloam falling on, on some folks. And, and the idea here ultimately is that um, c- condemnation of the law that, that um, you know, 
if we do not uh, if we do not live before the Lord uh, in accordance with His will, then then we will perish. And um, you know, it's rather interesting. In our day and age, we don't have what we would call gross idolatry very much. I guess people are too sophisticated to think that that a statue that they build or something else is is their god. But we have a lot of fine, what is called fine idolatry. In other words, uh, putting myself before God, or putting other people, or putting my wealth, or uh, the the gift of wealth, or whatever, in in His place. And and so. So, um, you know, there's a warning here. It all goes back to the first commandment, because if we could keep the first commandment, we can keep all rest, all the rest of them. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, no one's making little golden idols and saying this is God. Uh but I also would say there is something in between, I think, between fine and gross idolatry. And it's the kind of stuff that we get from influencer culture, the type that we get stuff from uh, dedication to brands. Uh, think about Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. Think about the Super Bowl. Think about sports. Think about, and as you're saying, all the different ways in which, yeah, we're not saying this is God, but boy, we sure act like it. We sure act like our jobs our families, all the blessings we have are from our own hands. We certainly look to people who have no business being the moral centers of the world and say, I want to be like them, as opposed to looking to God's word and saying, I want to be a child of God, which, which, well, frankly, there comes with it requirements. There comes with it uh, responsibilities. And, and, and the basic, the most basic of all of them, is just remember that all that you have and all that you are, including your very life, is a gift of God. And I think this is why people who do become wealthy in this life, and God bless them, but they tend to fall away from God fairly quickly because you don't want to, you don't have that understanding of relying on someone else. You know, and I can really say that if of these folks, um, as you said, God bless them because it, it was God's will that that they prosper in in their uh, various uh, you know uh, vocations. But um, I, I, if they do not know the Lord, they don't have the peace that comes from knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. That uh, it's an eternal peace, an eternal certitude of salvation that comes from being in Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, that which comes from the law. And, and so, uh, yeah, we could be uh, Bill Gates or Bill Gates, I, <laughs> whatever his <laughs> name is, or Taylor Swift. By the way, I wonder what this Taylor Swift there. I mean, um, I think uh, and for my installation as pastor at our Redeemer, the, the beloved brother that uh, pre mentioned Taylor Swift in his sermon. And, and that was the one uh, one thing that was remembered by many people. <laughs> but I, I mean, it, it, Taylor Swift, uh, with all of her wealth and her uh, notoriety and, and popularity, if she does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it, it would not be a good thing to trade places with her. Absolutely. I mean, you can appreciate someone because they're a good singer and you can appreciate if someone's a good actor or if you can appreciate someone who's a good business person or businesswoman. And, and you're like, hey, yeah, they made a lot of money for themselves. But it brings us back to our discussion at the very beginning. You can have a golden casket, but that doesn't mean anything once you've died. You know, that great equalizer. And at the same time, and we're not judging the faith of anybody because we don't have any real position to it at this point. But but 
we also have this reality that it's so easy to slip into the temptation of self-reliance whenever you are blessed in this world. And it goes back to what the, I think you said a proverb that you quoted, which I hadn't heard of. I'm have to look it up, but about how, you know, Lord, don't give me too much <laughs> because that's that's the temptation that we fall into. So it's not a sin to be wealthy, but do not forget Yahweh, your God, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. We live in a world where if you live the way God has set out for you to live, you are going to be set apart. You are going to be holy. Um, You're going to be different, (laughs) to say it in simple words. And because you're different in a world that demands uh, uniformity, yeah, it's 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 going to be a little bit of a harder life for you, which is kind of the opposite of what you might expect. You might think, well, if I follow God's will, then I'll be blessed. Well, you will be for eternity, but that doesn't mean there will not be struggles in this life. And I think that's another point of struggle for folks. Yeah, and, and the Apostle Paul says, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only we trusted in Christ, then we are of all people the most to be pitied. I mean, in, in, in our discipline and in our desire to follow God and in, in our self-denial, especially as in during this season of self-denial uh, and repentance, um, you know, if, if, if it weren't true, uh, that what the Lord was saying in his word, then we, as the Apostle Paul said, then we are of all people the most to be pitied, then we rather should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And, and, and then, of course, that's all that the people of the world that are not in Christ have to uh, look forward to. And, and it's a tragedy when they don't live uh, long lives. You know, one one um, uh, author of uh, a book or an essay called Self-Reliance, Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, is kind of pushed forward by those that that uh, credit self-reliance, and 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 we should always, um, you know, in under God have self-reliance. But Ralph Waldo Emerson was a crass unbeliever who who mocked people that would uh, pray to God and expect uh, good from God. And and so uh, I think that uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and his writings. Uh, sometimes can probably be relegated to the uh, basket or to the <laughs> fireplace. <laughs> well, and, and I think there's a huge difference. You talk about there is a need for some self-reliance, and absolutely, I think maybe to put uh, – I haven't thought it through, but to put a little finer point on it, maybe uh, personal responsibility. We certainly have a personal responsibility I think, but part of that is to recognize that, you know, we are responsible for our own actions. We can't blame it on other people. But at the same time, no one in this world, no matter how off the grid they think they are, is a man or a woman unto themselves. They do rely on other people. And of course, we know spiritually that everybody relies upon God. So part of what makes the believer different from the unbeliever is that we recognize that what we have is from God. Does it make a distinction? Well, I think it does. Because once you recognize that all that you have is a gift, you're much more open to sharing that with others, to helping your neighbor. Um, not that those who are uber wealthy, even unbelievers, don't do good in this world. I, you know, that could be debatable. But but at the same time, you know, that good is still just God doing that for the benefit of his country. Or sorry, his world, his creation is what I meant to say. Uh, so, so we too, as we recognize the blessings that God has given us, 
it should really should drive us to look then at his law and say, okay, I'm saved by Christ. I don't have to worry about my salvation. And now I'm looking at his law and I'm saying, you know what? If this is how he's designed me to live, I should strive to live this way. And if I fail, I, I know there's forgiveness, but I really am going to strive with the help of the Holy Spirit to live the way he wants me to live. Uh, we as Lutheran pastors have been preaching from the pulpit for so long, 500 years, you can't work your way into heaven. I think we failed to notice that by and large, people aren't trying to work their way into heaven anymore. So maybe it is time to start focusing a little bit back on the necessity of obedience, not for salvation, but just as what a disciplined child would do to honor their loving father. Well, it is true that if you read the epistles of St. Paul, that uh, he spends a great deal of time on um, following God's law as as a guide in life. Uh, and, and, and the law of God uh, pictures to us the image of God. It is, it, in, in, in a sense, as the Spirit conforms us to the law, uh, you know, as a guide, uh, that is, of course, uh, the new image of God that is recreated in us through baptism and, the, and uh, you know, the gospel, the washing of with water with the word. And so, um, and, and of course, it's, a, it, it's not a completed task. It'll only be complete in eternity. Amen to that, brother. Well, we're close to the end of our time together. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with the folks at home before we wrap up? I, I'm just... Uh, it, it's really uh, marvelous how when we study the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that he, uh, you know, quotes and he repeats uh, words from the book of Deuteronomy, probably one of the most beautiful books in the Old Testament that, that shows us the gracious God who, who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be his people, not because we were great in ourselves, but because... Uh, Yahweh, our God, loved us and loved us so much that that he shared his greatest treasure with us, our Lord Jesus Christ, who uh, was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, that we too might have the hope of eternal life and that we may not perish. And that is a constant hope and, and striving of Christians to know him and to be found in him with his righteousness forever. Amen to that, brother. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning. It's been the Reverend David Boysclair. He's the pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor, thanks for being on the show again. I look forward to talking to you soon. Oh, I, I'm counting the days. It's great. <laughs> Excellent, brother. Thanks. Folks, come back Monday when I'm joined by the Reverend Martin Schulteis. He's going to help us explore chapter nine. In chapter nine, Moses continues this same thought. He speaks to the people, emphasizing that their imminent entry and their conquest of the promised land are not due to their own virtue, but because of the wickedness of the nations being displaced and the fulfillment of the promise that God made to their ancestors. He recounts their rebelliousness since leaving Egypt, including that infamous incident of the golden calf. But the whole chapter underscores the theme of God's mercy and patience, despite our human failings. Folks, join us for that. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.